We today have a government that is being run by people who don't believe in government. And so we look around and we watch all these botched efforts, if there are even efforts, with regard to coronavirus. And we say, oh, my goodness, how can this happen? This is what happens when you put people who don't believe in government in charge of running the government. And one of the things that I can assure you is that uh, if, if Vice President Biden becomes the president of the United States, his administration will be populated with people who ask the question, we are here to do something, what can we do, rather than what can we undo? Hi, this is David Goodfriend, and you're listening to the Goodfriend Group Podcast. President Harry Truman used to say, if you want a friend in Washington, get a dog. But in this case, if you want a good friend in Washington, you've come to the right place. I talk to people from technology, telecommunications, and media. These are my good friends, and now they're here to talk to you. You're listening to part two of my interview with former FCC chairman Tom Wheeler. After a thorough conversation about net neutrality, broadband expansion, and E-rate, Tom now gives us his thoughts on what tech policy would look like with a Biden presidency and how to save local journalism. So I, I'm back to wishing that you were back in charge, but uh, I can't have that today. What, what I can hope for, though, is that Joe Biden is elected president in November. I think I and think we can all identify with that. Let's just let's just treat that as table stakes, as you might say. Now, let's assume he's uh, elected president, as we all hope. Are you confident that at that moment, all the things that you've mentioned get put in place? Or is it more complicated? Well, I mean, David, you're a longtime practitioner and, and you know, <laughs> you know that this is not, you know, as much as you would like to just wave a wand, um, there are processes that have to be, uh, that have to be followed um, uh, and, and there are coalitions that have to be built, et cetera. Here's what I, sure. here's what I know. You know, Barack Obama had the great line where he said that elections have consequences. And the consequences are not just who's sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, but it's who he or she puts throughout the government and the um, instructions and attitude that permeate the government. We today have a government that is being run by people who don't believe in government. And so we look around and we watch all these botched efforts, if there are even efforts, with regard to coronavirus. And we say, oh, my goodness, how can this happen? This is what happens when you put people who don't believe in government in charge of running the government. And one of the things that I can assure you is that uh, if, if Vice President Biden becomes the president of the United States, his administration will be populated with people who ask the question, 
we are here to do something. What can we do rather than what can we undo? Right. Right. Because I got to believe I'm not alone in noticing that the first three years of the Trump administration was all about undoing whatever Obama, whatever President Obama's administration had done, regardless of whether it made sense, including, I might add, dismantling the pandemic task force uh, in the federal government. So I'm with you there. I just hope that in our world of uh, telecommunications, technology and media, uh, we see the change that we want to see. I want to ask you a, a question on a du- different different issue. still relates to your former jurisdiction as, as chairman of the FCC. But uh, this one... This one strikes me as unique for our, the moment that we're in right now. Local journalism, local yep. media. We have this paradox. Demand is up. Ratings are up. People are watching more than ever before. But revenue is down. Advertising is down. And so you've got layoffs going on in newsrooms at a local level at an accelerating rate right when we need that, that resource the most. Now, the, there's been a proposal floated around, and there were, I think, 19 – Senate Democrats who signed on to a letter saying, uh, let's direct some federal spending to buying ads on local media. And that struck me. I I really want your honest opinion on this. That struck me as well-intended, but terribly dangerous. We're at that point. If we did that, we're now handing the Trump administration a new weapon to manipulate local media. We're not going to make this ad buy unless you cancel that ad by the Biden campaign. I wouldn't put it past them. Well, we've so, already we've already uh, seen you, the you, Trump campaign uh, threaten to file and, and try and get broadcasters licenses revoked at the FCC because right. they didn't like a Biden commercial that was being run. Right. So so why give them this weapon of uh, ad buying power? To, to me, if it's a legitimate problem, but wouldn't we be better off doing something through the Corporation for Public Broadcasting or some other uh, nonprofit granting mechanism for local journalists? What do well, you think? I think the challenge in local journalism, as you point out, is, is, uh, is, is humongous and, and non-trivial. And, and the difficulty with the demise of the local newsroom is the demise of watchdogs for local government and um and you know you trace it all back to a decrease in advertising dollars right you know here's the here's the bizarre thing david facebook and google control 45 percent no i think it's 48 percent of the local digital advertising done in this country so, so rather than spend money with a local newspaper, I'd rather spend the, the, the folks who say, "Well, I want I want as much targeting as possible to get as much bang for my buck out of the out of my ad dollar." Say, "I'll spend it with Facebook and Google." It is a bizarre situation where two massive international companies know more about the neighborhood than the local newspaper or media outlet does. And but does that count? Does that call into question whether advertising is the right business model? I mean, Netflix doesn't work on an advertising. Model. So so but um, but well, as you know, and the 
the, the great breakthrough in, in, in local journalism was when it switched from um, a subscription model uh, to a subscription and advertising model uh, in the 19th century. Right. And, um, I, I, you know, the fascinating thing that happened at that point in time was be, we began to get balanced journalism. You know, they, but before when, when it was a subscription basis for your local newspaper, what you basically had were local party-oriented um, newspapers, and you would subscribe to your party's uh, 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 rag. Um, and and mm-hmm. when when advertising, when they went to advertising as a source of revenue, in large part in order to pay for the costs associated with them being able to have remote correspondence delivering by telegraph, but that's another story. Um, the um, what happened was. You, you wanted to reach as large a population as, as possible. Therefore, you wanted to offend as few people as possible. Therefore, you came uh. up with this concept of balanced journalism, which is we'll tell the whole story, not just one side of the story. And that served us really well until we got into an environment, in a digital environment, where the profit now comes not from a broad reach, but from breaking people down into tribes and being able to digitally target them with information that they want to see and that they will hold their interest so that you can deliver more ads to them. Back to your point. I think one of the key ways that we deal with the crisis in local journalism is we have to go to first principles and we have to go to what pays for, what is always paid for local journalism. It is subscriptions, yes, but it is also advertising. What is the sine qua non of advertising today? It is digital targeting. But the problem is that the big Digital platforms like Google and Facebook, as I said, have 48% of local, local advertising, uh, is that they have collected all this information about you and me that, that was, was our private information that they have turned into their corporate asset and then hoard it. I think there ought to be an ability to open up that information, have access to it so that anybody can have the ability to sell targeted information. And I think that, you know, Google and Facebook ought to get paid for it, but I don't think they ought to be hoarding it. And I think this goes back, I mean, you know, David, you're a first-rate attorney in the nation's capital, and you know, going back to the 12th century and common, the common law concept of a duty to deal, where essential kinds right. of services had to provide open access. I think we are in an information economy that means that information needs to be open. You know, when you speak, Tom, the, the fact that you're a history buff just comes out over and over again. Just in the course of this half hour, you've told us about uh, the, the telegraph during the Abraham Lincoln administration. You've told us about the, the dawn of advertising in local media. Uh, now we're going back to the 12th century in common carriers. 
So let me ask you this question. Suppose it's 30 years from today and you are going to write a history book about the COVID-19 crisis. What, what is history going to say about this moment that we're in right now? Uh, well, I think it's probably going to say two things. Um, one, um, it is going to say that, um, that uh, it should not have been a surprise. Um, and uh, we saw it coming. Uh, and this is this is a totally apolitical statement. Uh, you know, it was something that the Bush administration talked about. It was something that the Obama administration talked about. It, this was not a surprise that the you know there was this book a few years ago called The Black Swan. You know, what happens when these really weird and totally unexpected things happen? Like a black swan is born, and the author I, I'm told the author of of that book has recently come out and talked about how the COVID pandemic is not a black swan. It's not something that was unexpected. It's a white swan. It's a bunch of white swans that have been out there for a long time and were ignored. So that's point one. That's, so the first history is, is oh my God, you know, uh, 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 you know I'm, uh, at one point in time I was a pilot and, um, and the expression amongst pilots is get your head out of the cockpit. You know, you <laughs> look around you, see what's going on. Uh, we didn't have our head of the, out of the cockpit. Hmm. I think the second thing then is that is that crises bend the arc of history, and um, and and what is that bend going to be? I think we're going to see all kinds of things. I mean, the very fact that you and I are now talking about um, universal connectivity for broadband and actually doing something about it is bending the arc of a debate that has been going on for a decade or more. You know, um, I, uh, I was reading a thing uh, the other day. Well, I, here's, an, here's an example. I had my physical the other day with my doctor online. Okay, I had to bleed. Okay, I had to go in and do that, and then, here, and then she says, "Well, here are the results, and let's talk about things." And um, and and also, the economics of being um, um, a, a GP have changed to the point where um, where at least for my doctor, we now pay a an annual service fee as well as the uh, fees for visits in order to keep the doors open because the business model has changed so much. We're going to see that across the board. You know, I read a piece the other day about how, how um, this is probably the greatest thing that ever happened to electric vehicles because people now understand yeah. what happens if there's less internal combustion engine and how the air is breathable. And so, so I think that there will be, I think there are two parts. One is the analysis of, of, of how we got here. And, uh, and the other is the, let's look at the changes that are going to be taking place as a result. And, and how will we be judged? 30 years from now. You have to look at that 30 years from now. I mean, I, this is one of the reasons that we don't judge presidents. We do, but, but you can't really judge a presidency, you know, 
um, uh, either during or after it, you have to say, okay, in the total scope of history, how does this, how does this fit? And, um, uh, I, I, I believe that, that, um, I go back to my comment that I made earlier that if we have a government that is run by people who don't believe in government, um, we're in trouble and we will be judged accordingly. One of the great things that Franklin Roosevelt did to save this country um, in the Depression was to, to, to operate on a philosophy that you can always fix a mistaken decision, but you can never recreate the environment that calls for that decision. And, um, and so uh, what we're seeing right now is, is, is decisions are lack of decisions. They are, oh, that's the governor's challenge. Oh, well, that's, that's their problem. And, um, and um, uh, how we step up and, um, and embrace the challenges created by this new reality, I think, frankly, will be the issue of the new, hopefully new um, uh, administration. Um, and, um, and we ought to look at that as an opportunity. Amen. Well, with that, Tom, I want to thank you for coming on the Good Friend Group podcast. And you were a great chairman of the FCC and a, you're a great uh, commentator today. And I hope I hope someday in the very near future, you get a chance to grab the reins again somewhere. Somehow. <laughs> you're we you're need nice, you. David. We need uh, it's been it's been it's been great <laughs> being with you and um, and your listeners. And um, and, uh, and let me just, you know, make one editorial comment here. Good for you and the leadership you're showing to talk about how we need to have um, uh, new creative thinking in our media structure. Oh, thank you, Tom. I appreciate that. Well, listen, you stay safe and stay healthy, and I'll Thanks, see you David. on the other Take side care. of this crisis. Okay? Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to part two of my interview with former FCC chairman Tom Wheeler. He really left us with a lot to think about, and I want to thank him for joining the Good Friend Group podcast. You've been listening to the Good Friend Group Podcast. Special thanks to my colleagues, Brian Hess and Megan Sun. Please subscribe to the Good Friend Group Podcast and share with family and friends. I'm David Goodfriend. See you next time. Thanks. <laughs>